What if you grew up in a belief system that told you everything around you was an illusion? What if you were told everything that happened to you, from being sick to stubbing a toe to being bullied at school, was your fault for not knowing the truth? What if you were denied even the most basic health care, from pain pills to checkups to vaccinations? How do you unravel yourself from this belief system? And what happens when you do? My name is Hillary Alexander, and this is Leaving Christian Science. Welcome to episode seven of Leaving Christian Science. Uh, my guest today is Kara, who is a licensed clinical social worker who also happens to be an ex-Christian scientist. So I thought that would be a really interesting um, perspective since so far we've just had people talking about their experiences, um, but who don't really have training in the psychological processes of coming out of groups like this, of being able to process your childhood experiences. So it'll it'll be good to have a professional <laughs> here today. So welcome, Cara. Thank you. Um, and why don't we start in our usual way, which is just talking about uh, when Christian science first entered your family history. How far back does it go for you? Yeah. Um, so it, on my father's side, I am third generation. Um, my father's mother uh, entered Christian science and brought the fam brought um, brought her husband and my dad with her. I believe she found it not too long before my dad was born. Um, she had been raised Jewish. And hmm. so that she was part of that um, movement from Judaism to Christian science um, in the middle 20th century. Um, and on my mother's side, um, it was my maternal great grandmother who found Christian science. Um, and of course I never met her. Um, she passed long before I was born, but um, she passed it along and that whole side of the family was Christian scientists. So did your parents meet in a Christian science environment or they was did. it coincidental? <laughs> they did. They met at association. Okay. Um, so they, they both had the same teacher for class instruction. Um, I believe it took place in Boston, um, which you know, Christian science and Boston go together like hand in glove. Yeah. Um, and they, and I don't, I don't think, I don't think they took class at the same time, but they met at the association. Um, so yeah, they, that's, that's how they met. So growing up, would you consider yourself to have been in a radical reliance household? No. Okay. Um, and that's been an interesting part of kind of my, my journey out, like, and, and getting into the ex-Christian scientist groups is um realizing just how um how much we were not radical reliance as compared to a lot of people um because people are talking about their first medical experiences in their 20s and things like that and um my my parents actually my my whole the whole family that i knew um, would go to doctors in what they would deem as an emergency. 
Um, so for example, my, um, my grandmother, my mom's mom, um, I know had surgery for cancer, um, turned out to be, I believe uterine cancer is the best I understand it. Of course, we don't have a whole lot of information, even when there is medical care, it's not yeah. good complete information. Um, my mother's brother, um, was hit by a car when he was in college um, and got some medical care, but did not complete the, the course of treatment that they recommended. Um, uh, my mother's father died in a hospital. Um, turned out it was colon cancer. Mm. Um, once again, the, the misinformation on medical, I thought for years that he had died of lung cancer because he worked in a factory. Um, but, and then towards the end of her life, my mother, um, told me, no, that it had been colon cancer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I'm interested in a family that was so multi-generational and, yeah. uh, went obviously went to class instruction and all that was there ever any discussion about the decision to get medical care like what was the attitude about the medical world the medical world i would say was it was weird to me looking back at it because for both my parents there was a there seemed to be this unspoken but very clear understanding that the medical world could help with with physical maladies. Mm -hmm. They they just there really wasn't any doubt with them. Um, when my brother fell and broke his leg, they took him to the emergency room, no questions asked. Um, things like that. Um, I mean, do you think they had any guilt about it or no? Absolutely. Okay. I think there was a lot of guilt and shame um, that we that we did it, um, but it was it was only in emergencies, right? What they deemed to be an emergency, um, and, and so I think they kind of excused themselves because they weren't like going to a doctor regularly or things like that. Yeah, I remember. Um... There was this, I'm sure you've heard this term, this very derogatory term towards Christian scientists that occasionally dip their foot into medical care. It was called being a, a, a teabag Christian scientist. Did you ever hear that? <laughs> Not until the XCS groups. Yeah. Heard so it. What that is, for people who don't know, is um, a teabag Christian scientist, which is only works when it's in hot water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And for a family like mine who despite not saying they were radical, where Alliance actually were, we would always sort of judge and look down on any Christian scientists we knew that did get yes. medical care. And yes. even to the point of, because obviously we knew a handful of people that endured, you know, cancer treatments and things like that in our Christian science world. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my mother always had this attitude about it. Like, well, you know, they just weren't trying hard enough or... Or the other, my, my other favorite, which was, you know, some sin they had committed, even though the word sin was never used, like right. some thing this person had done that was sort of less than savory. And that's why they had cancer. And 
you know, if they didn't deal with that, then they would never get better. And I mean, it was just this terrible, arrogant judgment of anyone who like, you know, deigned to actually get physical help for a physical ailment. It was just terrible, you know? Oh, yes, definitely. And, and I think, um, we, we felt that from other members of our church, um, definitely, and, and lots of shame. And um, on top of the shame about seeking medical care, which of course gets complicated with the child cases. I, I was born in 1971. So as I'm growing up and as my siblings are, are growing up, the child cases where, where the, all the kids had died um, under Christian under the care of practitioners and stuff um, were very much in the news. So of course yeah. there's kind of less shame in a sense about going to seek medical care for your children because you don't want to become one of the child cases. So it's a very complicated um, situation there. And, and yet um, my parents uh, and our family definitely felt, um, definitely felt the shaming um, the, about the fact that we did seek medical care. Um, and on top of it, um, my parents were never good with money. Mm. Um, they were both teachers. Um, so they never made that much money in the first place. As we know, teachers are some of the most underpaid folks in the country. Um, and, uh, and they were bad with the money they had. So, um, we weren't poor. We had a house over our, our, you know, we had a roof over our head. We had food, we had decent clothes, but, you having been to Christian Science Churches, you've probably witnessed like it's not just wear decent clothes. This is not a church you go to in in jeans and sweatshirts like a lot of churches these days. It's dressing up in your finest every Sunday. Well, we were looked down upon for being kind of shabby mm. as well as for seeking medical care. So not only were we not demonstrating. <laughs> physical healing we were not demonstrating supply right and that's and that's where christian science science very interestingly intersects with prosperity gospel to me Mm -hmm. um yeah i've mentioned on on this podcast before the the sort of very white very affluent aspect of christian science and i i yeah, I would definitely say we, again, we were not at all affluent. We were the poor people <laughs> in every congregation we were in. So this was not me, but there's definitely a what's wrong with them that they're not demonstrating supply attitude for sure. And, yeah. And our, our, our family definitely felt that, you know. Yeah. It, the snobbery. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> that oh, you're yeah. somehow, again, a sinner without using that word. Yeah, that they're that you're not you're not a good Christian scientist if you're not wealthy somehow. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll and I'll relate to the child cases also to call back to that. You and I are about the same age. And um I think our generation, those cases loomed really large yes. for us. I mean, that was a huge thing that was happening in the 80s and 90s. And 
I think it's what fueled a lot of my mother's paranoia about people finding out that we weren't going to doctors. You know, she was always sort of hushing me and telling me to not tell people and to keep things private. And um, Mm -hmm. she was very afraid that somebody would come and like take me away, basically, if they found out that she wasn't taking me to doctors. So there was mm-hmm. all this weird paranoia and and need to hide things and feeling like people are against us and very, mm-hmm. very paranoid way to to grow up. I don't know mm-hmm. if you had that, a feeling of sort of being like against the world in this little group you were in. Did you have that at all? Somewhat. I, I don't think quite the same that you did. I, I And I think it really kind of makes me wonder. It's not something I ever spoke with my parents about directly, but it makes me wonder how much of an influence all of that was on their decisions to to seek medical care. I mm. I know that it was already, you know, they weren't the only members of the family who did. Right. So I know that there was some kind of mental gymnastics going on, you know, that that led to those decisions, but I never got the straight of it. And my mom passed several years ago and my dad and I don't speak. So Mm. I'm not going to get any answers. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious, um, outside of the medical stuff, which thankfully for you was not a big issue, (laughs) no medical neglect there. Um, How was it emotionally as far as, you know, your concept of reality, your, your being allowed to express or experience your feelings as a child? Um, that was where the real damage happened. Mm. Um, there were some, you know, we, we didn't go to doctors regularly. So there were some cases of, uh, of neglect on a, like a, a smaller scale medically. Um, but, um, emotionally, um, and, and what I came to understand once I started studying psychology was Christian science is a recipe for attachment wounding. Hmm. Um, so the, the science of attachment, um, which at this point is brain science because we do have the ability to scan the brain um, and to, to understand more about what's going on in the brain, um, the human brain, like most mammal brains is wired to develop an attachment with other human beings, right. With, with other creatures. Um, and so part of that needs to look like having your caregivers, um, ex- like help explain what your emotions are as you're learning, you know, as you're feeling them, as you're learning language, yeah. your care, your caregivers should be helping to explain what your emotions are. Oh, you fell down and hurt yourself. That was probably scary. You're probably scared and it hurts. You're feeling mm-hmm. pain. Um, oh, your, your friend took your toy. You're probably mad you know, helping to, to talk through that and, and understand what you're feeling and, and having those emotions validated 
is an essential part of brain development. Yeah. And developing a healthy self-concept. And by doing the exact opposite of that, Christian scientists just wreck their their child's emotional development. Wow. Yeah. Um, you don't understand yourself, you don't trust yourself, you know, the the potential for so many things to go wrong in in, in your your development of a self-concept. And what kind of effects would something like that have later in life? Like how does a childhood like that affect you? Um so it affects your relationships, your ability to to form a healthy attachment to another person because you haven't had a healthy attachment with your primary caregivers you're going to have a really hard time forming a healthy attachment to anyone else. Um, in my case, it was a lot of anxiety. Yeah. Um, needing a lot of reassurance and yet being afraid to ask for it. Um, so there's, there's three types of insecure attachment. Um, is anxious attachment where you're seeking reassurance all the time um avoidant attachment where you don't trust and so you just pull away and then disorganized attachment and disorganized attachment is when it is generally the result of abuse and or neglect and i believe that's about where i ended up mm. um because and and I think probably a, quite a few Christian scientists because we would get in a lot of cases our parents would love us or you know one of our parents might be really nurturing um, or they might be nurturing sometimes they might you know about certain things they might be really supportive and nurturing and then other things they're just cold and yeah. invalidating and and consistently so and so when you have a disorganized attachment you're going to show some signs of the avoidance and some signs of the anxiety and so it can be very confusing to others in your life what how can i please you what can i what can i do to you know to have a good relationship with you and the person who grew up that way has no idea because they haven't had a secure relationship. They don't know what it looks like. Yeah, I definitely consider myself in that latter group because <laughs> I also had a mother who was super supportive in some ways and then super not in others. And it was very inconsistent and you never knew who you were going to get each day. And it was a very insecure and anxiety producing <laughs> environment to grow up in. I've talked mm -hmm. down here about how during the period where she and I were alone, because my sister's, uh, my older sister's 10 years older than me. So I was alone for a good part of my childhood with my mother because my father was gone. Um, mm -hmm. And I had terrible trichotillomania when I was in junior high school. Yeah. An anxiety, you know. And I always think about like, well, it just kind of went away one day, it just stopped. 
And I realized, oh, the day it stopped was when I moved away from her. Yes. <laughs> when I stopped living with my mother and moved in with my now adult sister, suddenly the trichotillia magically went away. <laughs> yeah. the, the major source of your anxiety wasn't there anymore. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I was, um, my mother was widely considered one of the sweetest most kind and loving people that most people ever met she she was um she was a wonderful person um but she was she didn't have a backbone Mm. um until very very close to the end of her life um she didn't develop a backbone Um, and my dad walked all over her. Um, he, I will not diagnose my father. Um, (laughs) I could, but I won't. Um, but he had a lot of narcissistic traits, um, very overbearing, um, would browbeat my mom and me and anybody and everybody into, into things and so I had my my disorganization was partly that mom's reaction to things was to shut down and to you know to go hide in a book not the books therefore <laughs> bad Christian scientist right um, but uh but she'd go hide in her nose in a book and and dad would would lecture endlessly about whatever was on his mind not not necessarily anything I did but whatever his worries were and I wonder you know he wouldn't say in so many words usually you know something like malicious animal magnetism or or things like that but how was he like you know knowing the Christian science things like him lecturing me about all these horrible things that could happen like wow he must have really like not been able to to reconcile that with the beliefs about how you know you're if you're thinking it it will appear yeah. I, that it really it, it makes me wonder just how little control he had over himself and both my parents once they left cs um in, they left in the 90s um, around the same time i did um, they both were diagnosed with me- various mental illnesses. Um, uh, so th- those were undoubtedly going on during CS um, years, but, but yeah, the, the, those were the big wounds for me. I didn't have like lasting physical disability, but um, having that really, um, walking on eggshells around dad and mom being the sweetest person, but not being helpful when dad would go on a tear. Um, that was where I ended up. And, and of course, none of it gets dealt with because it's all an error in your thinking instead right. of something that you would get help with. Yeah. I mean, I have to say for me, one of the minor but still as it turns out pretty important negative effects of having grown up in a christian science household is the complete lack of conflict resolution skills yes (laughs) yes you know a the problem quote unquote isn't real 
right so to spend any time on it is like not christian sciencely <laughs> right and b right. even if we did try to talk about our our issues with each other it would have been done in a in a weird christian sciencey way where you're not really acknowledging the things and mm-hmm. you're trying to I, I don't even know like i don't even know how we would have attempted this but I definitely, it never occurred to me that you can have a disagreement or an argument with a loved one and actually work through it and give each other a hug afterwards and say, I'm really glad we talked about that. (laughs) That just was something that would never happen in our family at all. Right, right. And it's interesting, like having worked as a therapist for a few years now, I'm finding like a lot of people don't have great skills in things like conflict resolution and um, working through things with loved ones, but it's not usually institutionalized. Right. It's, it's just, you know, generation generationally, they didn't learn the skills or whatever. So it, like one of the things that struck me about Christian science is it's kind of like a lot of the issues with America that I see, like the the unrealistic amount of individualism that our country pushes people towards, um, that's such a Christian science. Like Christian science takes that to the nth degree. Go go into your into your room with your books and work it all out for yourself, and you know it pushes you to that individualism. And of course, we're relational creatures. We need each other. And so, you know, getting, trying to, to learn to relate to each other successfully, resolve conflict successfully, you know, have a, a genuine attachment to somebody is so hard when you're, yeah. when you're hiding things, anything that might be wrong, you're hiding it and holding it back. It just, yeah, it, it's yeah. a recipe for horrible relationships yeah and you're not allowed to ask for help you're supposed to help yourself mm-hmm. even and as then, a little kid you're supposed to help yourself and just somehow know how yeah. to do that <laughs> yeah and if you if you go to a practitioner what you tend to get is not actual help it's what it, it's whatever whatever they can at least as I remember it, whatever they can pull usually from this week's lesson right? <laughs> that relates in any way whatsoever to what you've brought to them. And they'll tell you, go to section four of the lesson and, and study, you know, this, the science and health from, from page 325 and, you know, <laughs> and, 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 you know, once you come to a full understanding of that, you'll just feel all better. Yeah, I think people who don't, you know, non-ex-Christian scientists who listen to this will probably be interested to know what actually happens when you call a practitioner, because we keep using this term and, <laughs> you know, so basically a practitioner is like a Christian science doctor. They're they're somewhere else. So you're always calling them on the phone. You're not like visiting them typically, I don't think. I, cert- I certainly never did. I wonder um, if they do Zoom calls now. Yeah, good question. Probably. Um, Because when I was a kid, if things got really bad, either physically or mentally or whatever, I would call practitioners. And it's exactly as you said, they would refer you to some paragraph or some Bible thing, and you would just sort of go off and study it by yourself. 
And I remember, I mean, obviously I believed in it at the time and it did seem to help some of the time, although some of the times it didn't. <laughs> and I remember reading these things and really feeling something like genuinely, I'm not making this up. Like I would <laughs> seem to get some incredible insight. Like, yes. wow, I never looked at it that way before. That's so true. <laughs> Which to me is very similar to looking at a horoscope. Yes. <laughs> you know, being like, wow, that's exactly what happened today. That's so true. Yes. Yes. Well, like, and that's is partly really, just... or is it just, you know, so broad that it could apply to anything? Yeah. 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 <laughs> that that's that's really part of what it is probably but it's also I mean there's been some talk in the XCS group and, and I think part of it what comes into it is the placebo effect yeah you no know, there's you're getting this tiny little bit of validation that something's wrong because you you know it, as a child your parent or or guardian has called a practitioner so it shows you okay, they're taking me a little bit seriously, you know, so they're, they're going to this, you know, this expert <laughs> to, um, to get me help. Yeah. And, and just so, the acknowledgement alone is very powerful because you're so used to not <laughs> being yes. acknowledged in any way. Yes. But then like, um, one of the things that seems to be part of the benefit of any kind of um prayerful or meditative practice um not the whole benefit but at least part of it is um that that you are focusing your mind on something which often will relax your body so any any tension that you're holding which might be increasing pain is going to relax some. So that, that may be an actual effect of like focusing your mind on whatever the practitioner has referred you to is I'm so busy thinking about this that I can't think about how much whatever this is hurts. So my body starts to relax a little bit and maybe it doesn't hurt quite as much as it did before. So it doesn't solve the problem, but you may feel some reduction of pain. Yeah. And I think that happened enough in my childhood that that's what kept me going is referring back to these instances. And plus all the stories, like we've talked about here a lot, like the entire fruitage chapter in science and health and the yeah. hundred years of Christian science healing, you know, all yeah. these stories, plus your own sort of random small <laughs> Yes. moments of yes. kind of feeling better once you've relaxed and regulated your breathing and done, done a little prayer which is really mm -hmm. just kind of like meditation really yep. suddenly you're you feel just a little bit better and then eventually you, you do get better because you'll you would have gotten better anyway and then suddenly that's a healing yes you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> that cold I had for a week you know finally better Woo. healing <laughs> testimony uh, uh, there we go when i when i fell down and skinned my knee it healed yeah yeah magical that's what our <laughs> bodies do so did you um did you have a very christian science environment like were you in schools and camps and things like that as a kid oh uh, so part of being completely broke was that i never went to the camps 
Um, you know, my parents didn't have the money to, to do any of that. Um, and, uh, so my first experience of being in a, in an environment was, um, uh, my grandmother, my mom's mom, um, because my, my dad's parents were both, um, were both dead by the time I was three. Um, so my mom's mom was very much in my life. Um, she took me to the summer session at Principia College. Um, and, uh, for a couple of years while I was in high school. Um, and I absolutely fell in love with the campus. It is, I don't know if you've ever been, but it is gorgeous. Mm. Um, these beautiful buildings sitting in this like wooded area at the top of the bluffs of the Mississippi with a view where on a clear day you can see the arch in St. Louis. I mean, it's gorgeous. It's a beautiful place. Of course I fell in love with it. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and that was the first time that, that I, uh, was ever an environment that was, you know, other than at church that was, um, Christian science based. And I decided I wanted to go to the college and, um, and so that was the only college I applied to. Wow. My, 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 my parents were pretty worried about that. <laughs> um, but it was the only college I applied to um, straight out of high school. And, and that's where I went. Um, and I, I went there for four years and graduated. Um, and and um, my dad wasn't, didn't want to let me go. And, um, the way I talked him into it was I said, dad, I want to go there so that I can become a better Christian scientist. Hmm. And he was worried about how much it was going to cost and me being so far away. And, and, and that, that won him over. <laughs> um, but was that uh, true or were you just saying that? <laughs> There was some truth to it. Yeah. Um, but mostly I just wanted to get away from him. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and go live in that really beautiful place that, that I had loved um, spending summers in. So, um, yeah, it was it was like probably 75, 25. Right. I had I had some like. I had some inkling that I wanted to become a better Christian Zionist, but mostly I just wanted the hell out of Cincinnati. So, yeah. <laughs> and so tell us about Principia. Cause again, I did not go there. I, I don't really have any connection to the place, but I certainly know a lot of people who did. So <laughs> <laughs> what was that like? Was it, was it kind of a normal college experience? Was it, was there a lot of Christian sciencey stuff that happened there? What, what was it really like? Um, it's interesting because um, everybody there was supposedly a Christian scientist, um, had been raised in Christian science anyway, and yet it was probably, the experience of being there is, is probably what started me down the road of leaving Christian science. Mm. Um, you didn't have to join the Christian science organization at the college. There was a Christian science organization, um, but you didn't have to join it. And I never did. <laughs> um, 
I very rarely went to church services. Hmm. Um, I was usually out too late on Saturday nights to want to drag myself out of bed on Sunday mornings. Um, and Wednesday testimony meetings. Ugh, no, I never liked those. Um, and I, I very, very rarely drug myself to those thing I would go to. And probably, you know, from the times I did go to services, probably the most well attended thing that I saw were hymn sings. Oh, yeah. Um, and I always loved singing hymns. I always loved singing. Yeah, me too. Um, and I forget what night it was. It might have been Sunday nights. I don't know. Um, but once a week, they would have a, a hymn sing in the chapel. Um, big, gorgeous organ. Um, and they would, you know, you could you could put in requests and and they would you know they would take requests from the from the room and and <laughs> because the the organist um was just he was amazing he knew everything in the book and could play it just without even without even a hesitation yeah and, and we would sing hymns and that Some was gentle presence here we go <laughs> yeah um and uh so it was uh that was my most like the, the most I participated. Um, yeah, it. I really I I found that there wasn't a whole lot of of talk about Christian Science at the Christian Science College. Mm. It's yeah, it was interesting. Um, and uh, and so I just. I, I just drifted farther and farther away. Um, they, there was a half hour every weekday morning um, that was supposed to be devoted to reading the lesson, but I never had a roommate. Well, maybe not never, very rarely anyway, had a roommate who actually read their lesson. Wow. During half hour. Yeah. <laughs> one roommate, one of my, one of my really good friends, we would, uh, I, we would sit and watch reruns of <laughs> All Guy, I think it was, <laughs> um, during that half hour. A lot more interesting. Yeah. Yes. Um, so, yeah, it it just, it was, I, I don't know that it was a, an absolutely normal college experience. It's such a, it's so different than my other college experiences. Um which I've had, I had three bachelor's degrees. That was my first bachelor's degree. I got two more because I didn't know what the heck to do with my life. Mm. Um, but I went to Kansas State University after, which is a huge, um, I don't know, like 20,000 students as opposed to Principia, which was like, I believe less than 600 even when I went there. Oh, wow. I didn't realize it was so small. Somewhere around that size. Um, so it, the same, but different, um, going to other colleges, um, because, because Prynne was so tiny and isolated. That's yeah. the other thing, like, um, uh, most other colleges are, are pretty close to some kind of town and have like bus service or something so you can get to town. If you didn't have your own car at Principia, you can't get anywhere. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's out 
out in the middle of nowhere. Hmm. The little tiny town at the at the base of the bluffs called Elsa. Uh, at the time, uh, it was a couple hundred people. Um, I don't think there was even a convenience store down there. And <laughs> it was probably like a from the actual dorms it was probably at least three miles to walk which of course you're not gonna you're not gonna do yeah yeah so you're completely isolated there's nothing wow um so yeah it's thinking back on that it's kind of terrifying (laughs) (laughs) yeah so when you were a kid I mean, you, you obviously started to, you feel like Principia was kind of the part where you just drifted out entirely. When you were a kid, were you really, would you say you were like really into it? Were you just sort of going along? Were you, did you have moments of sort of questioning or, or pushing back? I think, um, I, I was trying to understand because the way I always the way I always understood it was that in order to have a healing, in order to, you know, in order to get better from anything, you had to understand um, the Bible and science and health. That was, that was the way I always interpreted it. And so I always was like, I would read and and try to understand it. And I never could. <laughs> and of course not, because it's gobbledygook. Yeah. But I didn't know that when I was a kid. I just thought I hadn't understood it yet. So I think that was where I kind of lived for the longest time was that I just haven't understood it yet. Um, because my, you know, my parents weren't super devout, clearly, you know, or devoted but my grandmother was, she was, she was really, really dedicated. Um, she, so my, my mom's parents were first and second reader at our church when I was little. Um, and, uh, and basically up until my grandfather got too sick, I think, um, and then my grandmother continued to be a reader um, with others. And then later in her life, she was um, on the board, like including being chair. So she was really like completely, she considered becoming a pr- practitioner. Mm. Um, never followed through with it, but considered it. Yeah. Um, so, so for people who don't know, first and second reader is really the only kind of authority figures that Christian science has. Um, People are always surprised when I tell them that we don't have a pastor, like there isn't this person that sort of leads a church and writes a sermon with their own kind of personal input or interpretation. That's just not a thing that happens. What ends up happening in a Christian science church service is there is a first reader and a second reader who just get up and read this Bible and science and health lesson, quote unquote, that you've been reading all week. So (laughs) you read this thing every single day. And then these people who I think are elected, aren't they sort of elected by the, yeah. So they're elected by the group to be the first and second reader. And they just read you what you've been reading all week. And that's it. That's the whole church service. So there's no 
And I always thought this was a good thing that there was no sort of personal slide. I did too. Yes. And I took that as a point of pride. Like, well, we don't have some guy just kind of making it up, making it up. Right. Forgetting that we had a woman who made it who all up. Made it up. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah. The, so the fact that your grandparents and, were first yeah. and second reader definitely sets yeah. off bells in my head of like, oh, they were very important. They were they very, were, you know, they were the they authority were figure in that congregation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I think as I look back at it, like the more time I spent with my grandmother, the harder I was trying. Then when I would be around my parents, I really, they, they weren't trying that much. And so I, there was no, like with my grandmother, if I stayed the night at her place and then she would read the lesson and we would, we would read the lesson. She had um, cassette tapes of me reading the lesson with her, things like that. (laughs) Um, And but at at home with my parents there was no let's read the lesson there was none of that if you were not feeling well sometimes there would be well let's sing a hymn or let's you know let's say the scientific statement of being or or something like that um but I think like being around my grandmother which I was pretty often was when I would be more devoted yeah, it sounds like generationally in your family, there's just been a slow pulling away. Yeah. Yeah. Till finally it gets to you and then it's just out. <laughs> yeah. Which I think is very a very common story, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I unfortunately was raised by an adult convert. Right. So she had that adult convert fanaticism that yes. probably wouldn't have existed <laughs> if it was actually my grandmother that founded in like the 40s or something. And then my right. mother would probably have rebelled against it and I never would have even known about it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But it was just kind of the way things were, you know, that it, in our family, on both sides of my family, it's just, uh, we're, we're Christian scientists. That's just what we do. You know, but my parents didn't take it very seriously. One of the things that, um, I was actually surprised to learn when I joined the XCS group, um was that a lot of people's parents would mute the um medicine commercials and refuse to let them watch any kind of medical show yeah um we did that (laughs) i so this and this is another bad christian scientist moment my my dad loved um some of those medical shows like there was uh Quincy with Jack Klugman he loved that show um we watched some of the other ones uh we all loved Star Trek and Star Trek it's not all about medical but uh, there's the medical component and medicine and Star Trek is very much like um it's the aspirational it's like this is where medicine can go in the future and it's not that we've solved all the problems, but that we have, you know, that we use the tools and we get better and, you know, we learn. And and so I think that as far as me and the influence that had on me was like, I, I think that it contributed to me assuming that, yeah, medicine works because 
Quincy knows it works <laughs> and Dr. McCoy knows it works and you know things so I I had no question in my mind that medicine was a thing that worked Christian science to me was kind of like this special thing like if I can ever figure this thing out I'm gonna have these wonderful amazing miraculous healings you know it was like but if I can't then I'll you know if I, well, if I my leg I'll go to the doctor you know? yeah I mean it's good that medicine was not demonized for you yeah I think it definitely it, was for me <laughs> yeah yeah and I, I think like that probably helped a lot as I as I left like not that I I didn't have like the comfortable I had a family doctor you know anything like that so I wasn't comfortable with the medical system it had always been emergencies scary times um you know um but at least I had some experience and I knew that doctors weren't out to get me you know yeah. um I what what I do remember is that when my parents would take me to the emergency room, like for when I was about 12, they took me to the emergency room for um, because I was in a lot of pain and it turned out to be a urinary tract infection. And the doctor just looked at them like, what is wrong with you people? <laughs> she has a UTI. Why did she? Why? why did you bring her to the emergency room? It's just a UTI. Why didn't you take her to your, your family doctor? But we didn't mm. have one, of course. Oh, yeah. So, you know, that was, that was usually what I saw from like medical staff when they would bring me to the emergency room for stuff that wasn't really an emergency. <laughs> they would be like, what are you doing here? <laughs> And would they, I mean, would they ever say that? Would they ever say, well, we don't have a doctor or we're Christian scientists or <laughs> do you know? Oh, yeah. I, I think that they, I think they would. I don't think they had shame about it. Yeah. Or I don't, I don't think they were trying to hide it. Yeah. I had the, like, I had the vaccination exemptions at school and all that stuff. Got my vaccinations when I joined the army. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> at, at 28, I got a whole raft of vaccinations in the army yeah i got all mine at 39 so yeah. <laughs> right behind you <laughs> so tell me about um the you know if you think this is a an relevant story um the the decision to get into therapy as a profession hmm. um that came much later um so um I didn't decide to do that until after I got out of the army. I served in the army for a, a little over 10 years um, from age 28 to 38-ish. Hmm. Um, and then after I got out and realized I had actually earned the GI Bill, um, <laughs> uh, I didn't think I was going to have GI Bill money. Um, because I joined to pay off my student loans, uh, some of which were still remaining from print um, because it's expensive. It's a private school. Um, uh, but I stayed in long enough to earn GI Bill. And so I was like, well, I, don't, I could go back to school, but what am I going to do? Um, and uh, while I was kind of playing around with the idea, I started taking some art classes 
um, and uh, realizing how therapeutic art was for me and how much I was working out by making art. Um, and so I started looking around, well, what could I do with this? Is there like a, a real, you know, other than just trying to sell my art, is there a, a career I could do with this? And so I found art therapy and I was mm. like, well, maybe I'll do art therapy. And, um, thank goodness I did a, an informational interview with an art therapist early in college for that, because what I found out was that it's kind of a getting a degree as an art therapist is kind of limiting um your your modalities are are kind of slender <laughs> um so i ended up uh, rather than going strictly that way uh, uh social work's a really broad profession um you can do a lot of things with it and so um i chose i chose social work um so I, I think, you know, noticing that art could heal you was the beginning of it. Um, but then as I was going through the psychology classes that were required, um, I really started like understanding what had happened to me. I found a book called Leaving the Fold Mm -hmm. um, which was all about leaving religion. And I started understanding the trauma that the CS had done. Yeah, um, definitely, definitely talk about that. I'm really interested to hear your real, you know, realizations of exactly what you had been through from a clinical perspective. Yeah. Um, well, it's interesting because around the time that I was in school um, for psychology is the same time that I was getting into the XCS groups on Facebook. And so that all kind of came together and, and helped me really explore it. Um, because I hadn't ever, like I, I left, I left Christian science in the nineties. Um, but 20 years later, I really hadn't like explored what it did to me. I just, I left it behind. Just walked um, away and that was it. Yeah. Walked away. Didn't, and, and didn't, um, didn't deal with it. And um, so as I'm in the XCS group and reading all the stories and all the things that people have been through, then I started taking psychology classes and um, understanding about attachment and understanding um, what gaslighting is. And um, the damage that that does to somebody's psyche. And so it, it all kind of came together um, to help me understand that my, my own personal background, the type of person my father was, he probably wouldn't have been great for me under any circumstances. Um, but Christian science excuses everything or, yeah. you know, encourages you to hide everything, to deny anything that might be considered erroneous, 
um, in Christian science terms, you know, because anything that's not harmonious is erroneous and is error and therefore isn't real. And, and so when it finally, you know, I'm, I'm sitting as a client in therapy and my therapist, you know, I'm describing my father and how he treated us or me in particular. Um, and my therapist just named it as, as psychological abuse mm. and verbal abuse. I was, I was gobsmacked. I was like, what are you talking about? You know, it's abuse, abuse to me at that point was physical. That was yeah, you know, being smacked. Yeah. <laughs> basically. You didn't hit me. What are you talking about? Yeah. Like for sure. I think in my, in my entire growing up, I think my dad actually spanked me like three times. Now, <laughs> so processing some of that because it was, it was not, you know, um, it was not just a little pat on the butt. <laughs> Um, so, um, like I didn't even realize it for myself until somebody else named it for me. And then once starting to, you know, starting to understand that and, and, and reading people's stories in the group where they had been molested by family members or by people in the church, things like that. And then putting together what was going on with my dad, I really realized Christian science serves as a cover for abusers mm. all too often. And I think it's not alone. If you, I mean, look at the Catholic church and the history of abuse, look at, you know, the, the Pentecostal is, is bad that way too. Yeah. There, there's all kinds of, um, and, and don't get me started on like the LDS church and the way LGBT people are treated in that church. Yeah. Um, but there's, but what Christian science does is not just like the protect the other members of your church, like those, those other churches do, but it's deny the entire reality of what's happening to you yeah and denied so it is institutionalized gaslighting it yeah. is written into it that you are being gaslit from from the ground up everything you know anything that's happening to you you're just just deny it so it just is unbelievably damaging yeah there's this one really heartbreaking moment uh, that my mother and I had as, as we were hurtling towards what I, I call our divorce, <laughs> <laughs> where it was all about, I just needed her to comfort me. I just needed her for once to say, I'm sorry that happened. Are you okay? And mm -hmm. I remember specifically saying, and I think this was over Skype. So it was like face to face. Mm -hmm. I, I, I was like, okay, I don't think she understands what I need. So I'm just going to spell it out. And I remember saying, I need you to say, <laughs> I'm sorry that happened. Yeah. And she said right back to me, I can't say that because it wouldn't be truthful. I just can't. I can't mm -hmm. do it. I know that's mm -hmm. what you need from me, but I can't say that. 
Yeah. And that so was she- kind of the moment I realized that this relationship was not going to be repaired. Yeah. And she was stuck in this and yep. I just couldn't make myself party to it anymore. You know, yep. this lifetime of denial and inability to offer the slightest empathy or comfort for me or anyone else. It's right. like, I can't. <laughs> I just and can't I, and- anymore. I think that brings up an important point, like, because I can imagine like people listening to me talk about attachment and and what kids need are like in horror of like, oh my gosh, I've messed up my own kids because I'm not always perfectly validating of them. No, that's not the case. What you're, what you're, what you offered your mom was the opportunity for repair. Yeah. And we all make mistakes. We're all human. You don't have to be perfect to be a good parent. You don't have to get it right the first time, but you do need to be willing to go back and make a repair and say, I'm sorry that I used that tone with you. Mm -hmm. I was upset and I I shouldn't have talked to you that way. The reason I got upset was because this, and, and so that's, you know, that's what we need to deal with. Parents need to be able to do that repair and your mom couldn't do it because, because Christian science denial, she's denying the reality of of what's hurting you yeah instead of goes to the and it goes to the issue of that elizabeth talked about which was christian science forcing people to choose the ideology over relationships and prioritizing oh yeah the ideology over a relationship and that's and that's just terrible yeah and again not not the only group or religion to do that certainly but (laughs) Right. And, and that's like, and, and as I've worked, I work with a lot of people who have um, been through some kind of abuse. It's basically become my specialty as a therapist, not not religious abuse in particular, but it, some of the, my clients have had some of those factors involved. And yeah, it's everywhere. It's just that Christian science takes it to a a particular place <laughs> like you know, I, I watched like the Leah Remini specials about Scientology and I was like yeah I see some parallels there yeah me sure. um, yes. Scientology was my first interest I think probably <laughs> because of that show and a couple of podcasts and as much as you know obviously we Christian science is not Scientology but we get mistaken for it so much get mistaken for it constantly which kind of cracks me up and annoys me at the same time but um but yeah the 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 not so much the physicality of being in Scientology which is very very different but the 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 philosophy is kind of similar yeah you know they do prioritize the group over their personal relationships they do deny negativity and put it out of their minds and and, you know I've heard stories of children growing up in it that just like us when they get sick or when they get hurt they're kind of made to go by themselves and think about what they did to make that happen and how it's not really happening and I was like oh my god (laughs) it really is like Christian science there's frightening similarities I always found it kind of funny like once I learned more about Scientology um, after I left CS, I, I pretty quickly became atheist because I couldn't imagine going to any other Christian religion or any other religion. But I I had a, a theory for a while because I kind of went down the, um, I, I watched a lot of the UFO specials. 
um, <laughs> that were really popular in the nineties. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, it hit me one day and I went with it for years and joked about it. It was always mostly a joke, like 75% a joke, at least Jesus was an alien hybrid. Mary was abducted and impregnated by aliens. That's what happened. <laughs> it was it was almost always mostly a joke, but there was that <laughs> little part of me that was still trying to figure out if I believed something. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, that was, it was my very um, irreverent blasphemous thing that I <laughs> believe. And when I, when I heard about Scientology and it's this alien, you know, when, when you get to aliens. that certain level and they tell you about the alien, I was like, oh, wow. So there's that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My mother was obsessed with UFOs and abductions. She had a whole hmm. bookcase full of books about it. <laughs> yep. Obsessed. <laughs> yeah. I was very, very interested in the idea that aliens had come to earth, you know, the all the <clears throat> theories that like the Nazca lines were to signal aliens or things like that. I was very interested in all that stuff for a while. <laughs> yeah. Well, your brain has to go somewhere, yeah. <laughs> you know, <Yes. laughs> especially when you're sort of used to magical thinking, it's hard to yes. unravel that and, and just come to like what I consider to be the cold, hard facts, <laughs> which is yeah. like nothing uh, is magical. <laughs> right. Right. And, and, and that we don't know everything. Yeah. And that's hard um, to admit. Yeah. As, as a species, we don't know everything. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, we, we're still learning. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so do you, um, it sounds like you, because of your background, you do have this sort of special understanding of people that grew up in groups like this. It's to an extent. Yeah. To an extent. <laughs> to an extent. <laughs> yeah. More than like someone who'd never experienced it, I guess. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Do you find it cathartic in any way or healing to sort of be able to help people with the same oh. issues? Yeah, absolutely. Like to, to, and, and also oddly, like, um, I've worked with somebody who was still participating in like Jehovah's Witness, which I think, you know, has some, also has some similar qualities, um, but was having a positive experience of it. And it was Mm. actually support to them. Um, Who knows whether that'll continue for them or not. Um, But, and, and to be able to, you know, where, where somebody who was, who had never been inside of uh, this, that type of environment, might have had a hard time understanding I was like no I can see why you, you're seeing this as supportive right now you yeah. know there was a time when I saw the you know Christian science is supportive to me uh, so okay meet you where you are and yeah it's <laughs> community you know I mean that's the thing we need more than anything else as yeah. humans <laughs> yeah and and community. Christian science gives you so little of yeah it. <laughs> that was that was something at the at the college I think was that there was more of a sense of community um than I had had in any other Christian science experience yeah for sure <laughs> because you're going through classes together and you're getting ready for a play together and you're whatever you're doing you know you're you're building community so that was definitely a positive I made a lot of really good friends there yeah I mean I, I've often told this story on this podcast but 
when I first came to Los Angeles by myself, when I was 20, the only person I knew was a Christian scientist friend of, I think my sister's that we had known through a church in New York who had moved out here. And without her and her group of friends who were all Principia graduates, like I never would have made it here. I mean, they didn't know me from Adam. They took me in, they taught me how to drive. They helped me get my first job. Wow. I owe them a lot, you know? Yeah. And I, I don't know where any of them are now, <laughs> but that was, again, like for you, for me, the first time I really felt, oh, this is what a church community does. It helps people and it, you know, mm -hmm. got me a place to live. I moved into this large house where, you know, roommates were all Christian scientists of different ages and it was really inexpensive mm -hmm. and we, they helped mm -hmm. each other. I mean, it was great. That's yeah. what churches should be about and, was... and often aren't, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it was it was a very weird it brings up a really weird memory that so my my degree from Principia was in art history and one of the members of my church in Cincinnati at the time was actually the curator of the Cincinnati Art Museum not once did that person offer me any support like, hey, you know, you want to come volunteer at the museum? You want an internship at the museum? Nothing, nothing. Like, that, that should have, would talk to me about what I was studying, you know, in the little social hour after services and stuff. But, like, looking back at that, like, that should have been a no-brainer. Why don't I offer Cara, you know, something at the art museum, you know? yeah. And it didn't, apparently didn't even occur to him. <laughs> so just not in the material world, I guess, that it, it really, and I didn't think to ask for it because I didn't understand the importance of something like that. Because in, in four years of going to the college, the professors did not impress upon us the importance of getting some kind of internship in in pursuing a career with mm. that degree and when I left I was I was screwed yeah it sounds I like tried they to apply to grad school and I couldn't get into grad school because I didn't had an internship oh boy they kind of neglected practical yes. <laughs> advice and I wonder if that's a, a Christian science thing <laughs> I, I wonder too yeah I wonder too. yeah 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 it's almost like if the person had offered you some kind of help it would be admitting that there was lack yeah <laughs> you know <laughs> something's not just gonna fall into my lap you know and I'm not gonna demonstrate the need right. for an internship somehow <laughs> yeah know? or you have to like work out your own demonstration <laughs> it was <Whatever>. bizarre <laughs> so I think we'll we'll wrap up pretty soon is there any anything we haven't covered or anything you'd like to to bring up um Hmm. Um. I I can't think of anything in particular. I I think you know we've we've covered a lot of ground, and I'm always bases. willing to come back for another round if you know if you yeah. have questions for me or yeah. anything. Yeah. All right. So I will ask the uh the final questions, <laughs> which are: Would you consider Christian Science a cult? Um, I'm certainly no expert on cults. Um, I, most of what I've learned, I've learned from other members of the XCS groups. 
um, and, um, and the little bit of reading I've done. Um, but from what I've seen there, um, I'm pretty well convinced that Christian science meets most of the requirements. Um, even the fact that um, Mary Baker Eddy is long dead, like because she wrote herself into eternal leadership of the church, basically, yeah. she, she remains the leader. Um, so I think in a lot of ways it meets a lot of the description of what a cult is um and and then definitely uh the mrs mrs eddie as as we all like ritually seem to call her yeah um, she she definitely had that iron fist on the church and and it's it remains to this day so in that way i think it does that definitely during her lifetime it met admit it but I think in some ways it still does yeah that's been something kind of a new concept to me since I've been doing this podcast is just because your charismatic leader is deceased doesn't mean they're not still very much present I mean yeah. I think Scientology still has some of the same issues too even oh, yeah. though Ron Hubbard is long dead too like because of the way the structure was put in place so yeah I don't I don't think the the lack of a charismatic living charismatic leader um excuses Christian science at all yeah yeah so then on that note do you consider her a true believer or a I don't know if I should use the word shyster but <laughs> that's the only word that comes I, to I I actually went and looked it up um, when you sent me the questions. I went and looked it up just to make sure I knew. I, like I had a general sense of the word, but I wanted to make sure I knew what it meant. Um, I guess a con woman would be a better right term to use. Right, and I think I, I think I agree with a a lot of the others who have um, been on so far that there's probably elements of both to her um, that she wanted something to be true, probably. Mm -hmm. But eventually, uh, if, if it was true at the beginning, I think eventually it all came a lot about the money. And she was, what I would say she definitely was, was a hypocrite. Um, because she, you know, writing, you know, that, that the way to, to heal is, is Christian science. And that if you mix Christian science and medical care, you're, you know, you're screwing it up. And then using morphine and whatever else she was doing but the the thing that I noticed about that was like I didn't know most of that stuff while I was in right I learned most of that stuff about her um after I left I learned um I learned a lot from Mark Twain's Christian Science <laughs> oh my gosh that was a really interesting uh little book um yeah mark, i need to reread that it's been a while <laughs> yeah it, mark twain being who he was he had quite a way of you know taking her apart um piece by piece um but then uh god's perfect child by uh, is that by fraser i think um was the other one mm -hmm. um, caroline fraser yeah caroline fraser's book um, really helped um, to to break a lot of things down for me and help me understand how messed up Mrs. Eddie was. <laughs> um, um, so, yeah, um, I I think 
I think especially towards the end, she met a lot of the the qualities of a shyster. Um, she was just trying to make money off of people. So I think it's it's a pretty good consensus that Mary Baker Eddy may have had some, you know, good intentions at one point, but that things kind of went south. <laughs> I think a lot of us yeah. sort of are on that mindset. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it's I think it's pretty clear that that she didn't play us straight. <laughs> like like just I've I've learned enough since leaving that she was maybe some of it was real but from the beginning things weren't quite above board so, yeah, yeah and definitely not as they were represented later like this whole thing of her fall on the ice that she supposedly right. miraculously healed herself of that was the entire origin story of christian science and yet i just came to learn never actually appeared in that first edition of science and health right things right. like that that kind of make you go hmm <laughs> right so, lots of lots of stuff that yeah she was she, she she was a fake um and and once i think once she figured out she could make money then she just kept going kept going yeah and as another guest pointed out it was probably the only thing she could do yeah i mean professionally you know for limited, money limited um options available to women in the late um late 19th and early 20th centuries you know we're, we're better off now but yeah. certainly there's there's plenty of room left for things to improve for women in our society but we're better we're much better off now yeah um, so yeah she did what she could with what she had um and i that's one of the things i i appreciated in mark twain's um book was like there was a grudging admiration for what she had pulled off <laughs> grudging yeah. admiration i love that um that's like, what i should call this podcast i guess <laughs> maybe not i don't think many of us admire her that much no but yeah no. having pulled something off definitely yeah. she did pull something off and for a long time i mean look it's been you know 114 yeah. years almost now since she died and it's shockingly still going so yeah. hey that's quite a legacy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unlike the Quakers, she didn't completely forbid us from having sex, but she yeah. certainly gave us like some major shame around it. So yeah, that too. <laughs> and yet we managed to reproduce some of yes. us anyway, <laughs> despite all of the shaming. Yeah. yeah. All right, Cara. Well, it was an absolute delight having you and, um, you know, again, open to a part two, if, if there's anything that, that uh, comes up that you'd want to talk about. Yeah same yeah um and I, just a briefly uh a plug um i am i'm the admin for two of the satellite groups for the main excursion science group so um if anybody's interested in joining a women's group i'm i'm an admin for the uh, and actually the founder haha ha, of the xcs women's group um and uh also um admin and and member of the uh, group for atheists, agnostics, humanists. Um, so those are some really good sources of community. Um, if anybody yeah. is looking for something like that as, as they're leaving CS. Yeah. Are those public groups that people can just find and then um, join with the, some questions or something? The women's group is a secret group. Um, uh, but if somebody, um, 
once in, if they're in the main CS group, they can find me okay. in the main XCS group and I, I will um, add them. Um, I, I'm not sure about the atheist off the top of my head. Um, they both have, uh, or the, the atheist group has uh, questions that you have to answer before you can be admitted. So, um, but, but the women's group does not. Okay. Yeah. I don't even think I'm in the women's group. I need to join that one. I don't think you are. <laughs> that one got by me. Yep. Hey, I'm in the parenting one, the atheist one, the regular, I'm in all the groups. <laughs> yep. Yep. I don't know. If, hey, if you want to join, let me know. <laughs> okay. All right. Thanks, Cara. Thank you. Talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to Leaving Christian Science. Disclaimer, I'm not an expert. I'm not a historian. I'm not a therapist. I'm just an ordinary, imperfect human who had the misfortune of being born into Christian science. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guests and do not necessarily represent those of the host. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to replace professional, medical, legal, or psychiatric advice.